Welcome to Change the Narrative. I'm your host, J.D. Fuller. I'm Susie Younger. An African-American licensed psychotherapist. I'm also a licensed therapist. We talk about the isms. We talk about the phobias. Anything that marginalizes and oppresses. As a white woman, I ask the questions white people are too afraid to ask. Everything we are not and everything we are is because of fear. Through a mental health lens, Susie and I will have difficult conversations with celebrity guests, political activists, and everyone in between. Our mind will tell us whatever we want to believe, but the truth lives in the body, and that's where change occurs. Are you ready to change the narrative? Hi, everyone. We are so excited for our next guest today. Meet Susie Q. She's an internationally acclaimed writer, performer, content creator, media strategist, podcaster, singer-songwriter, and columnist. She's passionate about feminism and sex worker rights. And we've learned she loves a good brisket. Welcome, Susie Q. <laughs> Hi, thank you so much for having me. <laughs> for sure. So tell us, in your own words, who is Susie Q? Oh, well, Susie Q is uh, my superhero alter ego, for sure. Uh, so she is a cartoon character. She's me in, in you know, my best form. It, it's funny. I, I um, you know, we're all at home these days and getting ready for this, this podcast. I'm like, all right, I have to dress up as myself today, <laughs> right? <laughs> I'm a Gemini. So this is like okay. what it's like to be inside my head. But I've been in the adult industry for a little over a decade now. Always been an entertainer, like since I was seven years old. But, uh, you know, shortly after my 18th birthday, I did my first nude photo shoot and I was like, oh no, this is, this is for me. This is the type of performance I like. Um, and quickly, as I started working at a, wor- a worker-owned unionized peep show in San Francisco, I got a real like nice, you know, liberation, uh, socialist education <laughs> about the industry and, um, you know, the stigma and the criminalization and the problems within it. And so I've, I was born an activist. I've always been an activist. My parents are both activists, so it didn't take long for me to become an activist within this space as well. I started a podcast that eventually led to um, a pretty long, you know, <laughs> long uh, career in the uh, nonprofit world that led me to the Free Speech Coalition, um, running a winning campaign during the 2016 um, election uh, here in California. And then um, some work with the ACLU of Southern California. So now I'm back to being a full-time content creator, uh, thanks to, you know, the magic of the internet that has really <laughs> socialized this industry. Like I've, I've been here for ten years, and like this is what I was hoping it would be. And so I'm soaking in that reality. I'm creating safe for work things on Patreon and on Medium, and then my not safe for work things on OnlyFans and my own website, youramericansweetheart.com having a great time, still participating in activism, but not within that nonprofit industrial complex. That's like, I really saw the guts of and was like, whoa, no, (laughs) no, no. I'm I'm a whore and that's safe. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. So tell me about uh, the political aspect of being a porn star. You've talked about that a lot. And I, I just want you to break that down a little bit. Like, you know, we have our assumptions about what's wrong with it, but give us your insight. Oh, man. So the thing that I love about the intersection between politics and, and activism and specifically adult film and, and pornography, got to be 18 to access voting, got to be 18 to access 18 and up content. And so when I'm speaking to adults, I assume that if they live in the United States, they're also voters. 
And it's a, if I have a platform to speak to voters, I'm gonna. And uh, we saw, so what we learned in the 2016 election, there was a ballot initiative here in California called Prop 60 that whew, was really problematic. It basically would have penalized adult film creators in a way that would allow their neighbors to spy on them and be incentivized to harass them. That's not the America I'm trying to have. (laughs) So, and it it really would have decimated the industry specifically here in California where so much of the content is shot. So I was kind of headhunted by the Free Speech Coalition to come on as their director of policy and industry relations and, you know, come aboard the team to really figure out how to beat this ballot proposition that was, you know, funded by millions of weird dollars (laughs) And, you know, we were outspent, I believe, 10 to 1. And so we had to figure out how we could still win. And the way we did that was, was by tapping into these adult film stars' fan bases. We tapped yeah. into the the consumer who was watching the content. So on the same day that we did an in-person protest in the streets of Hollywood with over 200 adult film stars with signs, you know, out in front of the person who was funding the campaign that was trying to shut down our business and, and our livelihoods. At the same time, we had an online action. So if you went to kink.com or vivid.com or wicked.com, the first thing you saw was a blank screen that said, if you don't vote no on Proposition 60, Come November, your porn will look like this. Nothing. Wow. And of course, it was a click through and you still got to like participate in your content. But it was very like there were like a bunch of uh, websites that participated in this online action, along with avatars that said, instead of the porn girl in her Twitter avatar, it says, come meet me at AVN or sign up for my OnlyFans. It's free. We made avatars that said, vote no on Prop 60. And that's how we did it. And that's how we've continued to do it. And now I've got really into lobbying because... Man, it, if you have, if you gather a bunch of adult film stars who are constituents and you bring them into their elected officials and say, look, hi, this is how many followers I have. Do you like your job? Hmm. Well, if you do, maybe you want to reconsider voting the way you've been voting on things like SESTA-FOSTA, Sissia, all of these things around like internet privacy and freedom and, and human trafficking, you know, these elected representatives are largely uninformed about the realities of the work that so many people are doing now more than ever. So that's been my mission to harass politicians because I've got the time and the money to do so (laughs) because I work from home and um, the only people I answer are the people who jerk off to me. Um, and, And to empower people and specifically like femmes and people of color and folks who have been disenfranchised by capitalism and like the nonprofit industrial complex, people who don't want to, you know, sit and work a 12-hour day every day just to, just to lose. I want to empower those people to be at the center of activism moving forward. Well, that, so. that's what uh, drew me to you. <laughs> Um, oh, I'm so glad. Yeah, yeah. I was very interested in, in uh, how you look at things and what your passion is. And so talk a little bit about sex worker rights, because that's something that's, that's big on your agenda as well. Absolutely. You know, the criminalization of survival, the criminalization of pleasure between consenting adults, these are things that are way beyond the adult industry or sex work, right? right. Um, and that's why I've, I've, you know, since launching the Whorecast and doing uh, the Whore Next Door column uh, in San Francisco and then and pivoting 
you know, coming down here to Los Angeles, you know, the home and the, the, where Black Lives Matter Los Angeles was founded, you know, meeting the, the Melina Abdullah and understanding that criminalization of the way we survive and the way we live, you know, that's, that's colonial shit. You know, that's shit that we have been trying to dismantle for generations and generations. Um, and so when we look at, when we think about the decriminalization of sex work, right, that is just taking away another excuse that a police, a police person, <laughs> a cop has to, to profile someone and say, where are you walking? You know, walking while trans is a concept that we hear a lot in the LGBTQ plus community because um, a lot of trans women, specifically trans women of color, are just assumed to be sex workers. So they can be stopped. And then, you know, my good friend Monica Jones, that's exactly what happened to her in Arizona years ago. And the ACLU had to get involved. So sex work really is at the intersection of so many of these issues of criminalization, be it documentation issues in the immigrant rights community. These are all affected by the industry because the industry is made up of people who are doing crimes of survival, right? There's, while there's a lot of representation um, and the, the narrative has really been dominated by white women, you know, insisting that, hey, we, I'm, I do this by choice. It's a cool job. I like it. You know, uh, what was the so like Bella Thorne, she's got an OnlyFans, we're all, right, yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> the way that the sex industry intersects with poverty and, you know, the criminalization of survival, like I said, that that's what I'm interested in. That's why we have to decriminalize sex work in every single state, because it, it's, we just have to remove the excuses that police have to harass and profile and harm our communities. And that's just one of them. So we got to just knock it off the list, just like we've done with marijuana and what we want to do with all kinds of things. Yeah. 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 No, I totally agree with you. And thank you so much for, for saying it the way you did. You know, the idea that so many oppressive symptoms are, are tied to the capitalist, you know, master is problematic in, in and of itself. You know, the fact that people can't get employed and are punished for, for not being employed. Right. It's just more of the hypocrisy that lives in our country. I don't have to tell you about how brown and black bodies are fetishized while being minimized by racism. What are your yes. thoughts about how to combat that? And uh, can mm. it ever change? Yeah, I, I have to believe it can. I have to believe it can. You know, uh, fetishization, this is something I, I learned real quick in, in the adult industry. I owe that education to the folks that I worked with, the non-binary black and brown bodies that I danced beside, you know, at the Lusty Lady. And I saw how men of all races mm-hmm. treated us differently. And still one of my closest friends, Cinnamon Maxine, an incredible performer. They were the lead madam of the Lusty Lady at the time. So like the boss, you know, but also mostly like it was this incredible position that was doing like HR and also like therapy and counseling and leadership. Uh, It was a magical place, but cinnamon, you know, let me in. We were very close at the time and still, you know, on how hard sin would work to uplift black and brown performers and non-binary performers and put them in shifts that made more money and, you know, try to even out the wage gap due to the systems of racism that are so intrinsic to our society. Uh, and and how hard it was just to continue to see those numbers go down and to to understand you know to see our our siblings uh, you know come backstage demoralized having to deal with hate speech and and actual violence even though we were behind glass so I mean that has to be our, like a top priority you know it's not just oh, too bad 
<laughs> yeah. No. Um, and, and I do believe that, you know, we, we are making progress as, as shitty as things are. I have to keep reminding myself, like, this is also the best it's ever been, sadly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I do. So, you know, and, and my people, I come from Modoc people and they fought the last Indian war against the U.S. government. Mm-hmm. And when I really look into my why, you know, of course, I love performing. Of course, I love freedom. I love the freedom to, you know, that's why I chose this industry. I get to make my own schedule, be my own boss and subvert capitalism in a lot of ways. But I really think about my why. You know, I'm here to finish the work of my ancestors. I love that. Yeah. I love you know? that. You are so <laughs> special. <laughs> I was just like, you know, we think about <clears throat> as we see our state crumbling, you know, um, <clears throat> don't forget there's plenty of sovereign nations, lots of government bodies all over this country. Yeah. Okay. So like, don't get caught up in what's happening in Sacramento or in Washington, DC, you know, like pay attention to what's happening with the federally recognized tribes that are still here and still have treaties that need to be honored and still have land. Um, so absolutely. No, appreciate it. Really do. Um, we have to start imagining like what's beyond and like I see like these sovereign nations finally like getting to exist as sovereign nations once we finally stop this nonsense. And that's where yeah. it starts. It's not just like POC uh, adult film collective. Yes, that's yes, we have to do that. We have to make safe spaces for black and brown voices to be centered and we have to dismantle the state. Yeah. 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 No, I, I, absolutely correct. I, I couldn't agree with you more. And I know Susie agrees as well. You mentioned mental health, so we're going to go there because we are two therapists. We always have to go there. Talk to us about, you know, how do you think others, including yourself, obviously, in the industry, care for your uh, mental and emotional health? You know, I know there's a fine, there can be a fine line there. So what are your thoughts on that? Well, it's a daily struggle. I think that this is true of so many marginalized groups, be you a, a Black creator or a trans creator, or a queer creator, or you know, uh, someone who does adult entertainment. In the world that we live in, it's very demoralizing to put your heart out there to do the work. You know, the hard work, especially if you're you know like calling out racism or you know doing mm-hmm. doing these activisty things, and to have your work get either buried, you know, like li- literally just shadow banned. People don't yep. see it or taken down. You know, I, I, I don't know if you saw the, um, this black creator on TikTok in this incredible poem that she did about, um, how she interacts with white women. I always find myself yes. stepping aside when white, yeah. And that, yes. that shit got taken down constantly. They do it constantly. Yeah. Constantly. So like that as a creator, as an artist, let alone, you know, just a human, uh, mm-hmm. it's really, it's really hard to wake up and be like, all right, keep doing it. Luckily, I, you know, <laughs> before it, before this, I was like performing as a mermaid on the streets of New Orleans. So like my skin is very thick. I've, I've worked <laughs> in strip clubs in Texas. Like I got this, yeah. but I, I, it's not good. That's not a good way <laughs> to be. It's, it's really hard. So putting your mental health at the forefront, um, is crucial. It's really crucial. And, and if you don't, you can only not for so long yeah. is what I've uh- observed with yeah. myself and within my community. So when I was on the board of APAC, the Adult Performer Advocacy um, Committee, yes, committee, um, we realized what I helped. Like, I think the first year I was on the board, we lost like like six or seven people to suicide. 
Um, it was just like, bam, bam, bam. And these young people within the industry. And we're like, we have to do something. And like, you know me, I'm like, let's do another lobbying day and a voting rights initiative. But that's not what the community was telling me it needed. So we had launched a, a, like a fundraising and events fundraising arm so we could have a budget of some kind to do programming with. So we focused in on that fundraising. We threw a party called Spread the Love that was, first year it was focused on like cyberbullying, but the cyberbullying organization took our money, but wouldn't acknowledge that it was for dirty porn people. So we just, so next year it was just a fundraiser for our organization. (laughs) But what that money went to was a fund, a free mental health fund. So we started having a therapist like on retainer basically. And like every other uh, you know, every week we had an open space where you could just drop in and do therapy. Um, and that evolved into other things. There's now an organization called Pineapple Support that offers like mental health scholarships because it is, it's such a thing within our community. We lose so many people to depression and suicide. I'm glad to hear that because I know, you know, with the history of the stigma, I would hate for people not to find mental health. Yeah. You know, yeah. I'm hoping it it becomes more user-friendly. And that people totally understand. mental health is for everyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, no judgment. Um, I've seen a, it's great to see people going into the mental health industry and becoming therapists that are specifically looking to provide services to our community. Oh, that great. is huge. Like I've done um, a good a good friend of mine, Mia Little, has become a therapist and specifically like wanting wanting to work with uh, sex workers, people, uh, queer people non-binary folks. So more, we need more of that. If you are thinking of, you know, becoming a therapist and like want to specialize, we we need that so badly. Yeah, I agree completely. I'm going to shift gears on you and have you give us a definition of polyamory. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I saw an incredible TikTok earlier today with this, this girl, this Polynesian woman saying like, hello, I'm Polynesian and and herself as another person be like, oh, like, like, are you a side with a, like a parallel sides and different? No, that's a polygon. Oh, do you have multiple relationships that like meaningful relationships with multiple people? No, that's polyamorous. And yes, no, I'm Polynesian. Anyway, (laughs) I love TikTok, but yes, she defined it perfectly. Um, Multiple loving, caring, committed relationships with multiple people. Um, I do identify as polyamorous. I've kind of always, always have. Um, I have been in monogamous relationships. I didn't like it. It was not for me. I tried it. I checked. I could do monogamy, but I would be Okay. I'm a sad person when I'm in a monogamous relationship. And like, I've been effectively monogamous for most of, I don't want to say that because I've still been working, but I, I haven't been like dating anyone seriously. I've just been with my partner who I live with because COVID. Um, but <laughs> I am very gay. So I am in like 17 long distance relationships with <laughs> all these beautiful girls. <laughs> you know, that's, You've got some kind of energy over there. <laughs> Gemini vibes, Gemini vibes. That's right, that's right. I keep forgetting that. Um, so what what would you say is the best thing about uh, being in a polyamorous relationship? And also, what's the most challenging? Totally. Okay, so the best thing is just... So I've, I've been tossing around this idea. Um, one of my new projects and where you can sign up for my mailing list is liberationlifestyle.com. And thinking about continuing the work of my ancestors like every day, aside from, you know, like dismantling the state, centering personal sovereignty and finding personal sovereignty day to day, moment to moment uh, is where we start, right? And I think that's one of the things I love about 
polyamory is being in relationships. And, and you can be in this type of relationship with a monogamous commitment too. But what I look for, and I use sort of polyamory as a, as a path to get there, is I want a relationship where we each honor each other's sovereignty. That, you know, as much, we choose to be on this land side by side and share yeah. this. And awesome. my, my dad used to always say, because my mom and dad weren't married for like, until I was like 20 something. They got together when I was, you know, he's technically my stepdad, but he's, he's Abba, that's dad number one. When I was like 10 or they got together when I was eight. So when I was like 10, 11, a couple of years in, I was like, why aren't you guys married? Like my friends are married. Like what's, what's the deal? And my Abba would say to me, because every day I wake up and I choose your mom and no piece of paper, wow. especially from the state is going to be the thing that says that we choose each other. We choose each other every day. Never heard it. Never heard it explained quite so uh, poetically. That was amazing. Abba, he's a real one. (laughs) So that's the best part is just like cultivating that, like you, you do you, and being able to stand on my own two feet because I do have codependent issues. I was raised by a single mom for like the first part of my life, and I struggle with my own. (laughs) (laughs) Working on it, Um, right? But. Cultivating a relationship where those are va- those values are like defined and held up, and we help each other honor them, even when we are managing some codependency, <laughs> you know, is like that's yeah. what I want. But the hardest part, I would say, the, honestly, there's there's a lot of challenging parts: stigma, and I think actually internal stigma, because like people are only going to judge your relationship so much. Like they know that's not their business. (laughs) You know, maybe an Instagram hater will go into some private hole of hers or his, but uh, the people in your life don't only care so much about your relationship. Or they should anyway. (laughs) But fighting through the narratives, like every time you have a fight, every time you feel a jealousy, every time you feel a sad, every time you feel hopeless, how many times do we feel this way in just, relationships, even a casual relationship, someone you're dating for a couple months. But I'm already like, a, you know, Gemini perfectionist. I've got that Virgo midhaven floating around. I'm very hard on myself. And so like, and especially as a teacher and I come on and I talk about polyamory, it's just like, <laughs> oh, well, if your relationship isn't perfect, what, how are you going to explain that to all those people you taught that class to? Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> like yeah, that's the, the hard part. Yeah. The pressure. Yeah. Yeah. And the pressure of heteronormativity, right? If yes. you're, yeah. I am so enjoying your, you are so comfortable with who you are and you use, you use language and words so beautifully. So there's a word that you use to define yourself and I want to know what it means to you. You call okay. yourself a feminist. What does that mean to you? Ooh, oh man, I feel so proud of being a feminist. I'm a third generation feminist. I remember my grandmother teaching me what the what a chauvinist pig was by showing me the price is right and pointing out how Bob Barker spoke about the women on his show as if wow. they were his possession. He call, see how he calls them his fuck that. You know, like <laughs> Granny. Oh. Granny Barbara. <laughs> Granny Barbara. So and she divorced my grandfather in like 1963 or four, just like, and she never married again. She never had, you know, she worked, she was a cocktail waitress. She was a mill worker and uh, she was a grandmother until she passed. And, and she did not need a man. She was not defined by a man. And watching her do that as a woman of her generation, she was born in 1932. Wow. Okay. 
to seven children. She was a farm worker during the Great Depression as a child. <laughs> you know, that strength is just in me. Yes, it is. It's just in me. <laughs> you know, like they say that we we work through like uh, like three generations back. So like we're we're working through what our great great grandmothers were. You know, we're still holding yeah. on to that. So you know, she's she's really walks with me all, all the time. And my mother, you know, she was a, she had me as a single woman in in the mid eighties, and that was hard too. So it's like I when I identify as a feminist, it's it's almost like that's the house I hail from. Mm-hmm. It's not even like a political ideology, which like it is, but that's not where I identify. It's just like I am a third. I am a feminist. That is the house. And so like when I met. My logical family, that's my biological family, but my logical family, like Annie Sprinkle, Carol Lee, Carol Queen, these women of the sex worker rights movement uh, who are, you know, third wave feminists, people who, you know, understand that even the idea of third wave feminism is, is so silly to me because like my grandmother's feminism was just like, hey, that's your body, the end. Right. <laughs> not the government, not a man, not anybody can tell you what to do with your body. So it's like, I never, I never got to come out to my grandma as being queer, being a sex worker. I was 15 when she passed, but like, I know she would be like, yes. <laughs> oh, she, <laughs> is right, she is right there with you. Yeah. She is right here. We feel her. Barbara May. Another one of your mottos is that you can do anything with anyone except one thing. You cannot lie. (laughs) Tell us about that. That's true. I'm really bad at it. Well, okay. Honestly, I blame it on actor training. Um, So I... (laughs) I have a theater degree from the University of the University of Oregon, and I, you know, I was planning on becoming an actor. That's a good acting school. It's a good acting school, you yeah. know. Um, I studied abroad in London. I was going to go to the Actors Theater of Louisville. I had been accepted to go do that. You know, that's where Angels in America comes from. And I spent. I honestly, I my first acting class, I was like seven or eight, and I studied until you know the end of college, basically when I was you know twenty four, twenty three, and. So much of what you learn in acting, and and then I started to pivot to film, but now I do a lot of film, you know, in, in adult film. Um, but when the camera's that close, you, you can't you can't lie, you can't fake it. You ha- you have to be in the moment. It's it's believing um, what what is, it's behaving truthfully under imaginary circumstances, mm-hmm. and so. I've channeled that into, especially when I was doing full service sex work and pro domination, you know, you, you put on this private little show for an audience of one and, mm-hmm. and you find truth together in the same way that you find truth when you're on stage and you're, and you're playing, uh, Desdemona, is that the girl in Othello? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Just, yeah. I don't know why that's the reference that came to <laughs> mind, but in the same way, it's like, you know, when, when you're watching Othello, Desdemona starts like freaking screaming. If she's bullshitting, you're not going to be there. You're just like, <laughs> just right, like right, right. you know. <laughs> but ideally, if she's doing her job, which if she's a professional, she hopefully she will be. You're just like, oh, no, you know, you're caught up. You're there. it's true, even though you know we're in a theater, we're all sitting down in the dark together. But it's true in the same way when we go to the movies and we watch Iron Man. Um, so, so when I say I, I can't lie, it's like. It's just, I, it's a habit to find the truth in any situation. Love that. Love, love that. 
love that. Okay, it's very clear that you have a lot of passion and you have a lot of projects and things going on. Tell us what you're most excited about right now. Let's see. Um, so I've started just in the past like week um, because my partner, Michael, is actually shooting on location this month. So I have been alone for the first time, basically all quarantine, which is wow. almost, I know. Living for it. Don't I miss him very much? But um, and I do have the three animals, so I'm not that alone. I'm really like okay. on this cycle of animal care. <laughs> but, um, so I have started to revisit my actually my whore next door column for the San Francisco Weekly that I wrote for four years. Um, a lot of it had been curated and put into my book, Truth, Justice, and the American Whore. But again, that was released in 2015. The world is not the same. Yeah. Um, and so I've really, and my, my life is not the same. You know, like the way I curated that book, it ended with, and then she got married and lived happily ever after, uh, which is the best thing a girl could ever want, right? right. And it was, so like, when I first came on and you asked me, like, who is Susie Q? Susie Q is this like cartoon character archetype that I've been like, working on for for a decade now revisiting these essays and putting them on medium.com with the partner program which does allow writers to monetize their content which is incredible and then also putting them on my patreon page so my patrons can read them you know free of charge if they don't have a medium content and i'm updating these pieces you know so last night i re-released um, my origin story and uh you know when i wrote that prop 35 had passed in California, which expanded the definition of human trafficking in such a way that would basically include any type of sex work, including consensual and, you know, all of the things. And now, you know, Prop 35 is still on the books, but we also passed SB 233 during my time when I was at ACLU. I wrote an op-ed for the uh, Sacramento Bee on it, and it passed, and that grants immunity to sex workers reporting violent crime. It's police reformist. It's not going to get us where we need to go but it's something. The things that I wrote, the problems that I wrote about in 2012, some of them are getting solved. Wow. So it really feels like getting to go back and rewrite history and like yeah. that, like it feels like healing inner child work because like, you know, Susie well, Q was in child then. Yeah. 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 It really is. You know, you just mentioned 2015. And mm -hmm. so I'm curious about how fans only has changed, right? Mm. We're in 2021, the porn industry. Oh my God. Woo. <laughs> um, you know, okay. So I started producing my own content. I mean, I always wanted to produce my own content. When I started uh, shooting and recording the Whorecast and writing for the SF Weekly, um, I really wanted to be making, you know, content that I was in charge of. You know, I'm, I'm a good performer, but in the same way that I was unsatisfied with going to work for the Actors Theater of Louisville because I wanted to create content that I, that felt true to me, that it wasn't just like me portraying someone else's truth in a great way. <laughs> like, that's fine, but yeah. I want to make stuff. I want to tell stories that change people's lives and change the world, even if they're jerking off, <laughs> you know? <laughs> um so I think, I, I guess OnlyFans was the first, but oh, also Model Centro, which is the platform that my website, Your American Sweetheart or Your American Babe, um, is built on. 
they're like the square space of the adult industry. So you, it has like a couple different templates and you can really like plug and play, um, you know, a website. And that's how my partner built peghim.com and my other best friend uh, built girlbullies.com. And so that was really when it started to shift and then came along their like sort of premium sexy social media component, which was fan centro. And that's around the time OnlyFans started to kick into gear. Um, but there were no celebrities on it yet. Barely even like mainstream porn stars were, but the traffic was there. It's just like, I could barely update anything. And like, I was just giving me money every month. And, wow. and slowly and slowly that just started to be the norm. And then these you know, bigger names hopped in and were suddenly making six figures. And it just started happening. And in the past year, I've shot for like all the major companies in the adult industry because they've come to me and my partner and been like, hi, <laughs> so COVID, right? Um, <laughs> you guys could make a porn for us, please, right? Could you? <laughs> um, wow. Because so much shooting had stopped. So I've really gotten the opportunity to lean in to, you know, not only be ha- building my own passive, you know, independent online income, but getting to lend my talents to these, you know, big companies that I've been like trying to model for. Well, like now I'm directing. That's awesome. It's access, right? Yeah. It's, yeah. Access. yeah. I want you to uh, just tell everything that you have where people can find you before I ask you your okay. final question. Okay. I know it's not, but <laughs> put it out there. <laughs> all right. All right. So let's see. Uh, follow me on Instagram and TikTok, Your American Sweetheart. On Twitter, I'm your American SW. Um, YourAmericanSweetheart.com will get you to my main website, which is uh, not safe for work. It is for adults only, but there is an option to click out and take you to thewhorecast.com, which is my Patreon page. Also technically 18 and up, but it's not like hardcore or anything. You might see a little <laughs> lingerie photo. You know, I, I identify as a social justice pinup girl. It's like <laughs> Betty Page, but she's going to lobby her senator. Um <laughs> So I think I think that's it. Yeah. And then the daddyissue.com will get you right to my OnlyFans if you just want to like cut to the chase. So final question is what does changing the narrative mean to you? Oof. Mm, mm, mm. Dismantling white supremacy. It's it's like the main I feel like it's the main issue. <laughs> you know? It's so much of how we we move through like American specifically society yeah. is rooted in it. This is something I really want to offer to everyone watching and listening because we're in a time right now like where uh, a lot of things are changing. A lot of the old narratives are, are shifting, right? Everyone's up in arms about Dr. Seuss and Pepe Le Pew and like, oh my God, our way of life. No, like we, <laughs> we need Aunt Jemima on the package or we'll, I don't know. It's just right, like, right. <laughs> calm down. When, and I really encourage people to, when you find in yourself or in someone else or someone else finds in you that you've transgressed, you've done a racism, you have, you know, however involuntarily or inadvertently perpetuated white supremacy in some way, and that is shown to you. Act as if somebody has just pointed out that you have spinach in your teeth before a big (laughs) meeting. And, and they just want to give you the, the opportunity to go into the bathroom and take a look in the mirror and get that shit out of your teeth and then smile and head on out and nail your meeting. That's all it is. We, we're all deal, we all eat spinach, right? We're all trying to work through this and, and get it out of our systems. And there's, there's no shame. You know, we, we, everyone tries to cling to like, oh, but I didn't mean to. Yeah, that's cool. 
it's cool. It still happened. And like, you're, there's still stuff in your teeth. So get it out and smile and let's, let's, let's move on and keep doing it. So I, I hope, because I think the defensiveness really gets in the way people get in yeah. their feelings about, you know, nobody wants to feel like they perpetuated racism or white supremacy. Right. Fuck no. I mean, hopefully not. Some people do and fuck them, but like <laughs> most, most people are not trying to do that. Right. So when it's discovered, give yourself some grace and give others grace. And it's about education and it's about moving forward and we can do it as long as we don't get too in our feelings about it. Awesome. Wow. Susie Q, let me just say, I knew you were going to be fun to interview. I knew that's why I stalked you on your page. Yes, I'm so glad. You. <laughs> I'm so glad you did. Thank you. Oh my God. You Thanks are. for checking your DMs and agreeing to Always. come on. Um, you're just awesome. That's what I want to hear. Sincerely. Sincerely. Sorry, y'all. Thank you yeah. so much. Now, now you promise to come back again. Anytime. I love this. I love yes. this. Right. Yes. Yes. Well, thank you so much for such an thank honor. Thank you. Spinach in your conversation. Thank you so much. <laughs> Put that spinach out there. Put that spinach yeah. out there. Yeah. I love this. Take care. <laughs> Take care. You too, y'all. Thank you so Bye-bye. much. Bye. Bye. Please be sure to like, subscribe, and follow wherever you get your podcasts. And also, leave us a review. Let us know what you think. Thank you for listening to Change the Narrative with J.D. Fuller. 